Our first reading is from the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 11. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out of the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. 
making us feel so very much at home. And I want, again, publicly to give thanks for the ministry of your pastor, Johnny. Johnny, I do so grateful for your humble leadership, for your great heart for the Lord and for his word, uh, your love for this community, uh, and your devotion to serving not only God's people here in this church, but throughout this community. Um, You and Sarah are a great team, and you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you for all that you do. God bless you, my friend. Thanks also to uh, Corky and Rod and the staff team and Dan on your sojourn here from the Falls Church. Great to see you. Uh, And to Mark and the church council, thank you all for all that you do in service of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bring you greetings from uh, our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America. I was just talking with him this week and I'm going to be seeing him uh, very soon and we'll be giving him a, a great report on all that the Lord is doing among you all. Well, let's pray as we, as we turn to the scriptures. So, Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit. Use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the church's building in Dale City where I served for many years, there was a set of double doors that led into the parish hall. They operated on electromagnets. So that if a fire should break out in the church, the alarm system would release the magnets and the doors would close automatically. Now that wouldn't put out a fire, of course, but it was supposed to contain it, to keep the fire in one portion of the church, to keep it from spreading through the whole church. Well, it's been my experience that the people of God have all too often tried to install fire doors, not literal ones, of course, but spiritual fire doors, so that when the fire of God's Holy Spirit begins to burn in the church, we can close it off, contain it, keep it from getting out of hand and spreading throughout the church. Well, in Moses' day, the fire doors were operated by Joshua, Moses' assistant. God had told Moses to set apart 70 elders to share in his ministry. And God had promised to take of the Holy Spirit, which was on Moses, and to give of that same spirit to the 70. And so it happened. The 70 began to prophesy. They spoke the word of the Lord to the people, just as Moses had done. But two of those on the list had for some reason not made it to the assembly at the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. They had remained back in the camp, and yet the Holy Spirit had fallen on them there. They had prophesied, but seemingly in the wrong place. Well, this outraged the young Joshua. He said, Moses, stop them. He might have added, This is unauthorized. We have decent and orderly ways of doing things, and this doesn't fit. I don't care if it's from God. It could get out of hand. So quick, close the fire doors. Contain the blaze, or the next thing you know, everyone will want to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit anytime, 
any place. But Moses corrects him and says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In other words, Moses says, leave the fire doors alone. Let the spirit blow on whom the spirit wills. Let the spirit touch whom the spirit wills. And let the spirit use whom the spirit wills. There have always been those who've tried to close the fire doors and contain the Holy Spirit and prevent others from exercising their ministry before God. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there are no grounds for closing the doors against the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. We believe in Jesus Christ who said that those who believe in him would do the very works that he had been doing and even greater works than he did because he was going to the Father and would give them the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus Christ who said he would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and send us out as his witnesses in a world that's lost without him. We believe in Jesus Christ and so we believe in the Holy Spirit whom he sends to us. The Holy Spirit is God. As we say in the Nicene Creed, he is the Lord, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. Some think the Holy Spirit is an impersonal power, uh, an impersonal force field, like the force in Star Wars. The force be with you, Luke. It's all coming back. You know, there's a new Star Wars episode coming out this year that's even entitled uh, The Force Awakens. But the Holy Spirit is not like the force. The force is said to have a light side and a what? A dark side of the force. But God, the Bible says, um, in him there is no darkness at all. And the force is impersonal, you know, like a magnetic field. But the Holy Spirit is personal. We can know the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can experience intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God and do the works of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4 summarizes what Jesus did this way. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. But how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons and even raise the dead? Well, the answer that most people would give is that Jesus did all of those things because he's God. After all, if Jesus is God, those are the sorts of things you might expect him to do. But is that right? Did Jesus 
preach and heal and deliver just by virtue of being the son of God? Well, the answer, perhaps surprisingly, is no. When Jesus became human, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter two says Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Now, what did he empty himself of? Not divinity. Jesus didn't empty himself of his godness. Colossians chapter two says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus didn't cease to be God when he became human, but he emptied himself of certain divine characteristics. He laid aside, he gave up certain divine attributes. First, he gave up his omnipresence. He gave up his ability to be everywhere at the same time. God, who is spirit, is able to be at all places at all times. But when God became human in Jesus, Jesus gave up that ability. He limited himself to being in one place at a time. When Jesus was in Bethlehem, he wasn't in Nazareth. When he was on the Sea of Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He gave up his omnipresence. Second, he gave up his omniscience, his ability to know all things. Now, Jesus knew many things, and he knew what his Father revealed him. But being omniscient means you know everything. And Scripture indicates that he didn't know everything. For example, in Luke chapter 8, verse 45, when Jesus is touched by a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, he turned and said, who touched me? When he is about to feed 4,000 people uh, with a little bread and fish, he turns to his disciples and says, how many loaves of bread do you have? When he saw his disciples arguing with the teachers and leaders of the law, he said to them, what are you arguing with them about? To the father of a demon-possessed boy, he said, how long has he been like this? And most significantly, in Matthew chapter 24, about his own return at the end of history, his own second coming, he said, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. He said he himself did not know when he would return. Jesus gave up his omniscience. And he also gave up his omnipotence, his ability to do all things. Mark chapter 6 says about Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth that he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Not that he didn't want to, it says that he couldn't. And in Luke chapter 5, we read that one day as he was teaching, it says the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Meaning there were times when the power of the Lord was not there for him to heal the sick. He gave up his omnipotence. But if Jesus didn't do works of power simply because he was son of God, then how did he do them? How did, he did them because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit 
at his baptism. We read in Luke chapter 3, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And immediately after his baptism, Jesus began to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses on, we read Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And when he read from the book of the prophet Isaiah, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Jesus had no recorded ministry at all prior to his baptism and empowering by the Holy Spirit. He did works of power, not simply by virtue of his divinity, not simply because he was son of God, but because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you might ask, why is that important? Well, it's important because if Jesus was able to do his ministry because he was God, then you and I are off the hook. We should not only not expect to do what Jesus did, it would be presumptuous of us even to try. I mean, think about it. You're going to pray for me to be healed? Who do you think you are, God? And so oftentimes the church misunderstanding that Jesus ministered himself in the power of the Spirit has held back from the fullness of the call that God has placed on us because we too are filled with the Holy Spirit and he calls us to do his kingdom work. If Jesus was, did what he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, then that means the same Holy Spirit who is at work in us will enable us to do all that Jesus calls us to do. Not presumptuously as if we're God, but because we are filled with the same Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is at work in us who believe in Jesus. But what exactly does the Holy Spirit do in us? What's the Holy Spirit's role in our lives? Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the one who teaches us the truth, particularly by illuminating the Bible as we read it. After all, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible writers in what they wrote. And so having, if you will, the author living within us helps us to understand the truth. And that's a marvelous thing. Jesus says also the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That means the Holy Spirit shows us where we've fallen short of what God desires for us. Not to condemn us, not to shame us, but so that we can face our sin honestly and turn and be forgiven. The Holy Spirit also points us to Jesus, helping us to understand that Jesus is God's son so that we can confess him as Lord and become a Christian. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ and makes us members of, of his church, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence that we belong to Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we'll be with him for all eternity. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, the, what, making us more like Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit can change our character, bringing forth in us what the Bible calls fruit of the Spirit, 
making us more like Jesus himself, bringing forth in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all the rest, the character of Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts, supernatural abilities to enable us to do whatever God wants us to do. Gifts like teaching and administration and healing and serving and miracles and wisdom. The Holy Spirit equips us to tell others about Jesus, to witness to the transformation that he's done in our lives so that others will be drawn to Christ as well. And the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, guiding us in how to pray, empowering our weak prayers so that God will accomplish his purposes through us. All of these things the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us in the lives of others. Now, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but we still need the Holy Spirit. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we're also to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. That means if you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But there's more. There's more. There's more power to enable us to live the life that we long to live. There's more power to enable us to triumph over adversity and temptation. And there's more power to enable us to reach out and make a difference in the world around us. When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples on Easter night, as we read from John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't immediately send them out to tell others that he was alive. He knew they first needed the Holy Spirit to fill them and empower them. And so he told them, wait, there's more. And don't leave home without it. Actually, that's a paraphrase. What Jesus said was, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on them. This time, not like a little breath, but like a tornado blowing through the temple, filling them and empowering them and sending them out into the world. Christ Church Vienna is called to reach this community and beyond with the transforming love of Jesus. But don't for a minute think you can do it without the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a story that challenges me and encourages me. A few weeks ago, I ordained a young man named Rob Kretsch at St. Brendan's in the city, one of our churches in the heart of Washington. Rob has a real passion for the poor and for ministry in the city. During our ordination process, he shared how eager he was to learn more about healing and ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I encouraged him to go up to Baltimore and to spend some time with Jay Baylor, who's a, a church planter of ours there in the inner city. Jay and his team 
a wonderful interracial community, are doing some amazing ministry among the broken and the marginalized. Their principal outreach in Baltimore is to pray for healing on the sidewalk outside the methadone clinic. And they are experiencing the Lord moving in extraordinary ways in changing people's lives. Well, Rob went up and spent some time in ministry with these folks, and the Lord gave him a new experience and a new vision for the work of God's kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, a short time later, uh, St. Brendan's was invited to send a small mission team to India through a family connection of one of their members. I'm not sure they had any idea of what they were getting into. I think they thought it was a friendship, family connection relationship. Well, Rob went along with three other people. And the first thing they discovered was that they had been asked to lead a conference for 400 youth and young adults. Oh my. Well, they felt that I guess we should pray for the sick. And so they invited young people who were ill and needed healing to come up on the platform. And they asked the Holy Spirit to come and just started to pray. And one girl just sort of collapsed under the power of the Holy Spirit, bounced back up, grabbed the microphone, and testified that she'd been instantly healed. And they were off. And all kinds of things happened in this conference. Well, this went so well, the leadership there then asked them if they would please lead the healing ministry prayer for a conference for 4,000 people. Well, they knew this was way out of their league, so they said, they got up and said, does anybody here need healing? And lots of hands went up. And they said, well, would, would the people who are around, the people who have their hand up, please gather and pray for them? And then they asked people to give testimonies, and the blind were healed, and lame walked, and all kinds of things happened. The team didn't lay a hand on them. This was all done by the people in the conference for one another. Well, they came back from India with their hair on fire. I mean, they had really been seeing God move in powerful ways. But how easy it is to see God move in the mission field and not walk in that back home. Well, soon after they returned, Rob was riding his bicycle in northeast Washington. And as he rode along, he rode by a man, a homeless guy, sitting on a bench. Um, Rob just had a nudge from the Lord as he rode by to go and see him. So he stopped, turned around, went back, got off his bike, and went and sat next to the guy on the bench. The homeless guy told him he had been sitting there for six hours praying for God to send someone to him to talk to him because he was so lonely. So Rob talked with him, ministered to him, and then asked if there was anything he could pray for, for the man. Well, the man ultimately said, admitted that he had severe gout in his foot. It was all swollen and very painful. And Rob asked if he could pray for him. Well, this was obviously outside this guy's worldview, and he was very reluctant and finally said, okay, sort of, you know, knock yourself out. <laughs> and Rob prayed for him, and he was healed to the point where he was standing up, pounding his foot on the sidewalk to show that it didn't hurt. 
And then he turned to Rob, and here's the money quote. He asked, is Jesus really like this? Yes, he is. How the Lord longs to use you and me for his kingdom. He wants us to share the good news of, of Jesus as we tell others what he has done and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit as he uses us to demonstrate the kingdom of God, to pray for people in need, not just in church, as wonderful as that is, but wherever we encounter people in need. This is 21st century America. We can't wait for the broken and lost to find their way into the church. We need to go on mission and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit out in the community, in the office, at our school, in the aisle, at Trader Joe's. God might send us out on a short-term mission trip like he did for Rob, and as he's done, I know, for many of you. But one of the most important transformations that can come through a mission trip experience is when we come to understand that we're on a mission trip at home every day of our lives. Think about what life would be like if you understood that every trip to Home Depot was a mission trip, where we truly prayed, Lord, is there someone there you want me to witness to? Is there someone there to pray for? Someone to serve in a practical way in your name? Lord, show me who it is and use me, Lord, for your glory every day of our lives. Jesus empowers us by the Holy Spirit to represent him and to minister to people every time we go to work, every time we walk the halls at school, every time we go to a party or play golf with our buddies. So step out in faith. Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and share the love and goodness of Christ with a world that needs him so very much. Amen. Seen in all I do. Love.
greatest and the least Gentleness that sows the path of peace I turn my strivings into works of grace Breath of God show Christ in all